Hello, this is Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. Today, the gospel is about mercy. Jesus appears to those men in the upper room and breathes on them and says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you hold bound are held bound. We read this on Divine Mercy Sunday because mercy is at the core of the mission of the church. Mercy gives us time to change and time to develop into who God made us to be. And who did God make us to be? Friends, saints. People who tell me that there are no saint, I say, well, there really isn't much of an option because that is what God has made us to be. How do we grow and develop? Here's a story about how we see it on a natural level, but it's a good analogy about how we grow in grace. I used to be the pastor at St. Ambrose Parish in a midtown Tucson, and one day I'd come out of the church, and who was running down the sidewalk as soon as she saw me? It was my beautiful little niece, Kelly. She may have been six years old, more or less, but she was already an avid athlete. Her dad was the coach of the Tucson High School uh, girls soccer team, and they won two state championships before the story I'm telling you, so they were a good team. But Kelly is smiling. She's wearing her cowgirl outfit, this white blouse, a red vest, blue denim skirt, and bright red cowboy boots. She runs down, and she gives me a great hug. And then she said hi, so now she pushes me aside, and she goes over to watch all these high school girls playing on the field because my brother-in-law had his team down there practicing at St. Ambrose Field. My sister and I stood and we kind of chatted and we watched Kelly. And then at some point she turned around and she looked at me and she jerked her thumb back at those girls and she said, I can beat those girls. Kelly has never lacked for confidence. Ten years later, Kelly played for a state championship. She and her team had beaten a lot of good girls' soccer teams. But Kelly had to practice. She had a dad who was a coach who helped her get better. She had a brother who both annoyed her and pushed her into getting better. She had a mom that nurtured her and challenged her. She had team members that supported her. And she had the inner ability to be a champion. And so they lost that state championship, which I knew bothered Kelly tremendously. But she didn't stop. When we think about what mercy is, mercy is the gift that God gives us to give us time, to grant us time, to grow into the people that he intends us to be. God's mercy extends to the whole world, extends to each of us because we need his mercy, and it extends to the church as the church grows into the mission that Christ himself entrusted to her. First, let's turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel today takes place on both the first and the second Sunday of Easter. The first Sunday, Jesus appears to those 10 guys uh, who are huddling in the upper room, and he says shalom to them. Why does he say shalom? Because these guys have run away. They've abandoned him. They betrayed him. Uh, St. Peter denied him three times. They're up there with a deadly, toxic mix of guilt and shame. And so Jesus starts with what the cross brings into the world, God's mercy, shalom, 
peace and prosperity to you. And then he takes these men who have all betrayed him in one way or another. And he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose sins you hold bound are held bound. And remember, he breathes on them and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the gift of reconciliation entrusted to those men is a spirit-filled gift. Why is the spirit and forgiveness linked? Well, it's the action of Jesus breathing on them. If you go back to the book of Genesis and you read uh, the account there of how God made the first human being, you would read this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God's spirit was blown into, breathed into that first human being. And then something disastrous happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Today, God is recreating uh, the human person on the eighth day, the first day of the week. See, the resurrection stories are fundamentally about God recreating the world, changing the meaning of the world. The creative power in this, this story of the resurrection is the same creative power you and I experienced in the sacrament of baptism, and that is the forgiveness of sins. Remember that the sacrament of baptism uh, reconciles us to God. The sacrament of reconciliation, of confession, is what restores us to our baptismal relationship with God. And so that same creative power that's in Christ breathing onto his apostles is breathed into the sacraments of baptism and reconciliation. Jesus did not change the past. Good Friday did not go away. The resurrection, that first day of the resurrection, changed what Good Friday meant to those 10 guilty, shame-filled men. It's the power of mercy to transform how we see the train wrecks in our past. You see, mercy allows us to grow into the people that God wants us to be, partly because we look at the past, we see that God brings good out of it, even the train wrecks in our life. Friends, if God can bring good out of the brutal crucifixion of his son, he can bring good out of the train wrecks, the serious failings, the sins in your past life and the past lives of all of those people who are alienated from the church because they don't seek forgiveness for what they've done. They want to deny what they've done. The sacrament of reconciliation is at the heart of Divine Mercy Sunday. But how does this change happen? How are we nurtured to be the saints that God wants us to be if we have trouble getting over the guilt of our past? And so that's what the story of the Acts of the Apostles is about.
The first reading today was from the Acts of the Apostles, and it recounts how the apostles li lived in community after the ascension of the Lord into heaven. And it describes their way of life. And so here are the four things it said that the communion of the apostles did in Jerusalem after the ascension. It says they devoted themselves to teaching. In fact, if you listen to the Acts of the Apostles, if you read it here during the Easter season, you'll see mostly that it's about Peter and John and Philip and others preaching and converting people to the gospel. The second thing it says in the reading today is that they shared fellowship with each other, a common life. The third thing it said that they did is they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. And finally, it said that they prayed. And so they, they devoted themselves to teaching and preaching. They shared fellowship with each other in support of each other. They gathered around the breaking of the bread and they prayed. Think about all four of those aspects of the early church life that are still with us today that nurture this life of mercy and grace in our community and brings it out into the world. First, teaching. And so, you know, the church has developed since that first week after the ascension of Jesus. In the fourth to the seventh centuries, the church developed the Nicene Creed, which we say at Mass, so that we understand correctly what the apostolic teaching is. The apostles did not create the Nicene Creed for us. The church, about three to four centuries after the apostles, defined the apostolic teaching for the world. It's part of the authority of the church. It's why we say the Nicene Creed at Mass. But why is it important? I mean, if you look out in the world today, uh, freedom of thought, everybody gets to make up reality for themselves. That is not the gospel. The church brings the truth of the meaning of the gospel into the world. First, to convict the world of sin. Second, to convince the world of God's mercy. And third, to share the life of grace with the world so that people may become the saints that God intended them to be. What does the church offer to people besides the teaching and the understanding that brings them together in common belief? Well, the second thing is fellowship. Fellowship is experienced in so many different ways in the church. Fellowship is experienced within a family, gathered around faith and prayer in their, in their family life. Fellowship is experienced when we come together at the church and worship together. Fellowship is experienced when you pause, take a breath, have a donut and a cup of coffee on your way out of mass. Fellowship is experienced in the Knights of Columbus or the Catholic Daughters. Fellowship is experienced by kids, hopefully, in the friendships they develop in religious education class. Fellowship is experienced when our moms gather around during religious education class and try to grow in prayer and faith with each other that they can serve their families better. Fellowship is how we support each other in growing in the life of faith. The third essential task of the church is the breaking of the bread. Well, obviously that refers to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Here's what St. Paul calls the breaking of the bread in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's his criticism and his call to the Corinthians. When you meet in one place then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, 
For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own supper, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and make those who have nothing feel ashamed? What can I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this manner, I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See what St. Paul said? Same thing Jesus said, the gospel says about Jesus. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it. The breaking of the bread is about this whole experience of thanksgiving, which is what Eucharist means, of remembering and of sharing this Passover meal, this new Passover meal that that Jesus gave to us. The Eucharist is the summit source. It's the center of Catholic life. It's why reconciliation to the Eucharist is such an important thing for people separated by decisions they made in marriage or uh, any other, you know, I'd just say it, train wreck in their life. But the willingness to seek forgiveness is at the heart of being reconciled to the Eucharist. I love to meet people who have marriage problems or believe that there's something that they've done that can separate them from the love of God or the fellowship of the church. And I always tell them, no, there's always a path forward. But just like Kelly had to change, we all have to change. The fourth thing the apostles did, prayer. You know, the whole fourth part of the catechism where we set forth the doctrine of the church is about prayer. There is something special when we all gather together around the altar and we pray the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father together, corporately in the middle of the liturgy. But that does not limit what our experiences of prayer are. We cannot grow as Christians without trying to grow in the experience of prayer. And so many have been doing the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which uh, will conclude this Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday. Others devoted to the rosary. Others share a devotion in our chapel or online to our mother of perpetual help. Prayer is experienced by our moms when they pray together in the chapel while the kids are uh, receiving religious education. It's experienced when the priest or the deacon comes to their homes uh, to bless their homes and their family in the home. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread in prayer. These are the way that the church lives, the manner of life, the mode of life of the church in order to make the power of reconciliation available to the world. And so, what is it that we should do? So the gospel is about mercy. The Acts of the Apostles is about the life of the church. How are we supposed to understand this in our life? First, let's talk about divine mercy and the life of the church. You know, the church has had its ups and downs. It's been through Roman persecution. It's been through the corruption of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. It survived the Black Death. It survived persecution by the Nazis and the communists. It is in the midst of persecution around the world today. And here in Oro Valley, uh, like the ancient people of Israel who huddled in their homes while the angel of death passed through Egypt, protected by the blood of a lamb. We are all quarantined in our homes 
um, experiencing this disease and death around us. The situation of the church never changes, but the church is constantly growing into what God intends it to be. Consider this about how the church develops. In the natural world, what does God intend? An acorn or an oak tree? Because an acorn's a pretty simple thing. And those 10 men, because Judas had hung himself and Thomas was gone, huddling in that upper room, uh, those 10 men are as much the church as we are today. But the situations changed tremendously in that period of time. St. John Henry Newman said, is to be perfect is to change and to change often. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But that the idea that as an oak tree grows and becomes more complexly itself, that so does the church grow. And it's how we see all living things. That's why I told that story about Kelly, who I love. But this little girl, wow, did she have confidence in herself that she was going to beat a bunch of high school girls. But God intended Kelly not to be a little six-year-old all her life. He wanted her to be a high school student and learn the lessons of struggling to become excellent in the game of soccer and then ultimately kind of end in frustration with losing that state championship, which I knew hurt her feelings. But it didn't destroy her life. She is still this committed young lady who'll be graduating from college this year, hopefully listening to my homily, taking the advice of Uncle John to keep on the course because she goes to Mass, she prays, she's part of the community of the church. She will continue to change as the church will continue to change, but not in the essentials. Kelly will always be Kelly. She will always be, through the grace of God, who God intended her to be. The church changes in some ways, at least it seems like change to us, but it's like an acorn unfolding into an oak tree. It's a little girl growing into a mature woman. It is the church in every time and every age taking the essential message of the gospel, the truth of the nature of God, the importance of reconciliation, and the understanding of sin into the world. And like yeast in the dough, as Jesus says in one place in the Gospels, is bringing change into the world. Think of all the changes that the church has brought into the world. Could you even conceive of the modern woman's movement without Jesus sitting down and accepting men and women as his disciples? You know, the church has done so much to change how we see the world. And how do we really come to the love of what the church can do? It's we look at those men and how Christ's mercy changed their lives, those 10 shame-filled men. We look at the martyrs of the church. We see St. Francis, St. Clare of Assisi. We see St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Teresa of Avila. Just go through all of these great saints, the wonderful St. Therese of Lisieux. This is the fruit of that common life of the church devoted to doctrine, to fellowship, to the Eucharist, and to prayer. That is what the church is always supposed to be throughout time. When the priest dresses, most of our chasubles, our stoles, come from some time in Roman history. 
but we are not recreating an ancient culture. We're just remembering that the past is still part of the present as the church unfolds into the world to be who God intends her to be and to accomplish the mission that Christ sent for her. Here's the second thing. Uh, it's about individual transformation. It's about becoming saints. The life of the church is essential to our development in grace. Uh, and we develop because we understand the truth and we live it. We try to both experience fellowship and in my judgment, more importantly, try to contribute to fellowship in the church by how we treat other Catholics, by giving ourselves to the breaking of the bread and the common worship of the church and in our liturgical, that is our communal prayer, and in our private prayer in our homes, and as Jesus says, even in our own rooms. Everything grows, everything develops, because nothing ever stays the same. When we look at the past, we have to see our experience as being tied into, as being connected to the experience of the apostles because we are one church spread out horizontally through the world today, vertically stretching back to uh, Elijah and Abraham and all the people of the Old Testament that Jesus uh, want, saved to the early church and up and through purgatory and into heaven. That's the church. It is this cross-shaped uh, living organism in time and in eternity. And that's how human beings live too. That we live in time, but we're formed by the reality of eternity in the doctrine of the church, the fellowship of the community, the breaking of the bread, and our personal prayer. This is a great time, I think, in the church because we are all experiencing and missing, in a sense, that fellowship. The Mass has been celebrated in catacombs uh, during Roman persecution, in fields and hedgerows when the English were persecuting the Irish Catholics. It's celebrated in secret around the world and today celebrated online. Sure, our experience is unique, but it ties us into the experience of individuals and the church who both inspire us and call us to be who God made us to be. I love that story about Kelly and how beautiful she was, and I'll always remember her like that. But she's a much more complicated, rich person now because of God who calls her into being a saint. I can say the same thing about the church and looking back on its past and what God intends for her. I hope you and I, when we look at our past, when we look at our regrets, especially the train wrecks, that we can go from that experience and see what God has done for us and what he can do for your friends and family if they'll entrust their lives to the divine mercy. This has been Oro Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. Keep safe, social distance, and let's see when we're gonna to get together. The government's starting to set out some criteria for how it is that we, we can resume uh, public masses. And I will try to keep you informed of what our bishop and the bishops throughout the United States are able to tell us 
about what's uh, waiting for us in the future. God bless you.